and welcome to Speech from the Fro. Today we have a special guest star, Bethany Drader, the former co-chair of the Women's Commission of the New Democratic Party for Canada. And, of course, following uh, the latest news last week of a socialist takeover, uh, as told by uh, the Conservative Party, we thought, who better to break it down with us, discussing not only the future of that party, but the future of the progressive movement in Canada as a whole. So, Bethany Drader, nice to have you on. You can give you yourself a, a bit more of a your own bio, uh, if you wish, and then we'll also start with uh, some discussion of what you think this this uh, latest news means for you, and we'll we'll move the discussion uh, from there. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, uh, like you said, I'm Bethany. I um, met these two guys at Carleton uh, when we were in undergrad and um, did some model parliament together and stuff, which was fun. Mm -hmm. um, I recently finished my master's at Carleton a couple months ago in political science, focusing in Canadian politics. Right on. And I also uh, work for the federal public service now. So, yeah. One of us. Just like One all of three us. of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got a, a few questions, quite a few questions for you. Uh, I will let Jacob lead off here, but we, we just kind of want to figure out your history with the party. So uh, Jacob, take it away. Uh, Liam and I and you, we've all worked uh, for our parties in, in various fashions, but neither Liam or I have ever had the national spotlight in the same way that you have, Bethany. Uh, and for your 15 minutes of fame, uh, you became famous, or maybe I should—I shouldn't say famous—but certainly, when all the eyes of the nation were on you, you delivered a very interesting um, report when you were um, co-chair of the Women's Commission. Which we'd like to sort of uh, unpack that and unpack your general experience working um, for the federal party. So, in particular, um, in this report, you seemed that uh, there was. Funds had gone missing without a proper paper trail. Um, and there is a one line in particular, uh, failures to facilitate our work erodes our trust, diminishes the potential of the NDP to reach an important block of voters and volunteers. And we sincerely hope that going forward, the Women's Council will be able to function as it's meant under our constitution. So um, I'd like to, to get your story of leading up to the report and what led to um, you and your co-chair delivering that report, why you felt it was it was necessary um, and to deliver this. This is like at the, at the 2021 convention you delivered this. All the party is, is gathered. Uh, why did you feel it was it was necessary to, to deliver that and, and, and um, what was your experience uh, leading up to that and what what lessons did you learn in that in that role? Wow, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe I'll start at the beginning. Um, so I was on Women's Council originally as um, the youth rep um, through my position on the federal youth wing as well. So it was kind of started off like that. So I spent probably five years in total on the council. Um, I then was elected as uh, treasurer secretary and then eventually uh, as co-chair when we had one of our co-chairs step down. So um, it, I, I was actually a co-chair for longer than most people end up being a co-chair because usually we have our conventions every two years. Um, but for a number of reasons, uh, it got pushed back and got pushed back. So it was actually th like a three-year term. Uh, and we had one election. Uh, He's actually writing down your social insurance number remember. right now, Bethany. But <laughs> it was mostly the concern over the 2019 election. Um, and I, I was co-chair with, with Dirk Proud at the time. And um, we had, you know, basically the whole point of the Women's Commission is to raise money to fund, uh, you know, non-men identifying candidates, essentially. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, that's something that you know New Democrats are supposed to believe in fundamentally, and it's actually um, the longest-standing uh, women's council in any political party in Canada. So, Pretty lots long. of history. Um, we have a fund. It's formerly the Agnes McPhail Fund. We changed the name to the Women's Council Fund, 
Uh, and by the 2019 election, we had almost 100 grand in the bank. Uh, and so at the time, uh, Melissa Bruno was the executive director of the party and uh, us as the Women's Commission met with her and sort of laid down uh, our, our set of guidelines for the fund, which had never actually been set out before uh, by the Women's Council. It had been sort of, you know, mainly handled by the central party and the treasurer. So... We laid out uh, our, our wants, you know, we wanted it to go uh, to, to candidates in ridings that were very low resourced or, um, you know, people who have intersecting uh, identities, um, people in rural uh, areas. Um, and the party wanted the money to go to the incumbents because mm. at that point, the the NDP was very concerned about keeping the seats that it had. So that was their side of, of the negotiation. And we said, okay, we'll set aside 40% of the money for incumbents, but we, you know, want the rest of the money to go to uh, the other candidates who aren't incumbents. So that was essentially agreed upon um, between us and the ex executive director. And um, we, we set up sort of a, a way for uh, the candidates to uh, apply. Um, you know, they, they have, we had a Google form where they could, um, you know, put where they're running, uh, if, you know, if they need special money for childcare or, you know, all a bunch of different things that were accounted for. And um, was, it basically sent that all off to the party and was like, okay, well, we've, we've done our work um, now it's sort of up to you guys because um, we weren't the ones who were going to be vetting and actually giving the money to the candidates. So we sort of just, you know, let it go to the universe and we're like, okay, so the election's happening now. And actually Durka was a candidate in uh, London North Centre for the mm. NDP. So she was very busy herself with her own really great campaign. Um, and yeah, we were all just busy, you know, on our, on our separate things. Um, at the time, I, I did sit this election out. I didn't I didn't work on any campaigns. Um, I think I did I did do a little bit of um, you know phone banking centrally, but um, it was mainly my my biggest role that I was you know dedicating my time to was the the women's council hmm. at the time. So are are you saying? And I don't want to get you in in, in any trouble in, in saying this, but are you saying that uh, that you and your and your co-chair you selected a a group of um, women candidates for the party to fund, and then the the party chose to to basically not fund those candidates that that uh, you had selected, and that money went elsewhere. And in the report, you you say that it was completely drained without a paper trail, so it didn't even tell you where that money had gone. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, um, you know, I wish it was what you had said. It Like, we didn't even know who had reached out to the party to apply for it. Um, we had been getting uh, women who would be messaging us on the Facebook page being like, hey, so um, I sent an email to the central party asking how to apply for this fund that's, you know, like publicized as this is the women's fund for the NDP. And they said, oh, there's, there's no more money or there's no opportunity for you to apply, essentially. So they were turning people away without even, um, you know, taking their applications. Hmm. And we asked repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly for any sort of correspondence or list of candidates who had applied and who had gotten money uh, from the fund directly. And we were basically told no. no. Either they didn't have it or they just refused to give it to us. Um, what I what I do think happened was um, basically that money was viewed as uh, Central's money to spend however they wanted to spend it, mm -hmm. and they did. And um, they even up till uh, the convention that you mentioned um, after the 2019 election, they couldn't tell us what how much they took from our fund, what was left in the fund. Um, they they there was a long period of time where our link donation link on the website was broken so not only had they completely drained the fund that we were not able to replenish it with anything um it was a number of number of issues uh with the fund for sure 
just to well to follow up on your sort of line of questioning or to continue that thread because you were you were digging at some good stuff. Um, I I think, you know, it, I I wonder. I I'm I'm of two minds about it because on the one hand, it's a party that has you know quite publicly been struggling financially for some years. Now, Bethany, I'm curious as to whether you think that that it's a symptom of that or whether it's a symptom of certain people or, or, or certain teams in the center spending the money the way they want because they're the center and you're not in their priorities. Is it, or is it a mix or what do you, what do you think about that? Well, the official line from them was that, like you said, that, um, you know, it's the most money they'd ever spent on an election. Um, they needed the money. It was extremely important, mm -hmm. um, for them to have it. Uh, they also argued that, um, they ended up spending over a hundred grand on female candidates anyway, so it didn't matter that our fund was, you know, uh, basically drained, um, which was quite interesting uh, as, as far as excuses go. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think it's a, been a big issue for a long time um, in the NDP with keeping people around um, who clearly have proven to not bring success to the party mm -hmm. um and right. that's a very um common criticism of the party is that a criticism you share like in particular if you think of people like uh, andrea horvath or other leaders not that obviously that's a provincial figure but do you think that the the ndp is too forgiving to to some of its uh leaders or people working in the leadership office and it might be time for clearing house yeah, yeah. And I think that there's also been an issue of the federal party and maybe to a lesser extent, the Ontario uh, NDP uh, with actually cultivating um, young uh, volunteers and activists and actually using them to their potential. You know, like we're the only party that doesn't have some sort of internship program on the Hill uh, mm -hmm. where you know, you can train um, the next generation of staffers, you know, so we don't have that. And our activists burn out very quickly uh, because they get absolutely no support from the party. And, um, you know, when you do see behind the curtain and you end up on, you know, the, the youth executive or the women's council, you, you really do see uh, the ugliness behind, behind it and, and how undemocratic can really get. Hmm. Now, as, as far as you know, has that been going on for quite some time? Is that a, a post-latent phenomenon? Has it been like this yeah. recently only? Yeah, I would say it is a post-latent sort of thing. Um, because before then, we it was a different party, right? Like, the party really did change when, when Jack came around. So, um, And obviously, I wasn't really around before then anyway, because uh, I joined the party when I was... 14 in 2011 or something like that so it's quite a long time i'm interested in um when you did set up the guideline to find these uh you know female or, or you said non-male identified candidates like a lot of the, the literature i i've read um regarding uh um, women candidates is that parties often will um, they'll put their their woman candidates in a riding uh, where they know that it's almost certain to lose. That it's it's a it's a phenomenon where they just they want to have a good number of female candidates, but they couldn't really care less if they win. It's just a it's just about a source, and that they often believing that and believing probably wrongly that that women are less likely to be elected. They'll give women less support. Um, and it seems to me with, with a strategy like that, you're probably trying to combat this. Exactly. Is there any other um, uh, ways or strategies that, that uh, you've developed or thought about when you were working inside the party apparatus you think could change um, this outcome? That's a good question. Um, I would say that the party needs to allow the local writing associations to do their job and conduct thorough candidate searches and to be active in their communities, uh, especially in racialized communities uh, and other underprivileged communities. Um, 
and for the party to allow the writings to elect who they would like to elect and to not be disqualifying people for you know for instance tweeting something about palestine you know people mm. people in palestine deserving rights you know that right. disqualifies you uh in a lot of cases from for running for the ndp federally and it's you, when you when you do that you're really cutting out a lot of um people from potentially disadvantaged backgrounds um that normally wouldn't have had access to the party and now you're just disqualifying them off of that but i would say you know as a solution letting the women's council do their job would really help i think mm -hmm. yeah for sure and what, what you were saying there about the um about um uh, when i what i was starting to say about tom Mulcair there was that i think he was the one to start that sort of more uh aggressive tilt towards maybe a, a what he what some people would call a quote-unquote neutral stance on israel palestine but really it's it leans israel um and tom mulcair i think if i recall correctly was the first kind of ndp leader to say okay if you're gonna say palestinian rights matter or whatever like you can't which i which i think is a mistake but it seems like it started with him and uh it's kind of just been a, a holdover of the party culture um, I'm sure you could speak to, to whether that's true or not. Yeah, I definitely think so. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's certainly not a, a unique problem to the NDP. I mean, you, you see all the time parties overstepping their, um, you know, constitutional structure. When you say, um, empowering, uh, certain communities to elect their own voices, is there like a, a particular, uh, set of policies that you think could uh, engage disadvantaged communities or a certain type of leadership. Like, I think in, in the way that uh, Jagmeet Singh was sold to us as being that guy that could activate the, uh, the uh, other communities that we haven't brought into politics. Have you seen evidence of that? Or, um, and if so, how, how is it possible, do you think, for the NDP to build on, on that sort of success? Yeah, I think um, that's one of the best things that Jugmeet has done for the party, I think, is bringing in all those different people that were previously um, never interested in politics or really saw themselves re represented. Um, I've Every time I go to an event, I'm always, uh, you know, post Jugmeet being elected, I'm always like so excited to see uh, how diverse it's gotten. And uh, yeah, I think more of that uh, is what we need. So right on. I think, I mean, I think that's the thing that, I think that's that's the difference maker between the NDP and the Liberals. Um, and, and the Liberals, historically, since I would say Jean Chrétien's Little Red Book, they called it, which was a, quite a left wing, especially for the time, quite left wing uh, for, the, for the Liberals at the time. And then he just campaigned way, to, or, sorry, he governed way to the right of it, like way to the right of it. Uh, and that sort of continued on through Justin Trudeau, who has definitely taken the Liberals a little bit more to the left, but some people like I, I was laughing, Bethany, the other day because Jacob and I were rec recording something else earlier, and I was saying I was reading the Hill Times, and uh, there are these anonymous liberal MPs complaining to the paper about how ultra left the liberals had gone. I was like, oh my god, the ultra left commie nightmare is here. You know, yeah. like it just gave off those vibes. Like because, but the reality is that's what marks the difference between the NDP and the liberals. The liberals are still. They still have that blue liberal um, contingent. They're they're quiet. They're kind of like the mm -hmm. red Tories and the conservatives. They're, they're quiet. They're small, but they're there, uh, and they're worrying about the loss of the center. You know that the liberals won't be will are going way too left for the center, which I think is hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's that's it's just the market difference, and and I, I think I think it, it became so politicized the Israel Palestine thing, especially post nine eleven. Uh, like Stephen Harper always had a hard line, you know, sort of like pro-Israel, like staunchly kind of position. And Justin Trudeau continued elements of his foreign policy, which include our, our friendliness towards Ukrainians, but also um, that, you know, uh, he just continued that right through without changing that approach on Israel-Palestine. And it's, it's, it's poisoned the conversation a little bit. Like, I, I, I think it's, it's, people are either both sides it or they're pro one side or pro the other side and there's there's no nuance to it it's become hyper partisanized that's not a word but you know what i mean and um i i'm just curious as, as to what you think 
how you know do you think politicians it's one of those things that electorally nobody really worries about or that that politicians are worrying too much about um do you think this is where the ndp should take a point of principle and kind of go no we're you know we're gonna say palestinian rights like do you think that's something they need to stand up for or, or is it good to be risk averse what do you think yeah, I think um, it's a very hard fought battle in the party. Um, somebody who's been to a number of conventions and seeing the hoops that uh, the members have to jump through to be able to get any sort of uh, Palestine motion on the floor of convention. Mm -hmm. You know, it means showing up at 5 a.m. to the priority pa panels and, uh, you know, potentially having people physically intimidate you and, and things like that. It's not it's not a, a very friendly um, exchange that happens at the conventions. It's always the no. most like contentious thing that comes up and it comes up every time. Uh, but it's only because the activists fight for it. Um, right. You know, the central party really tries to bury those at the bottom of, of the list. Um, a lot of foreign policy actually um, doesn't ever really make it to convention floor. Um, we deal a lot with, you know, domestic and social policy, but I think the foreign policy thing is very much overwhelmed by the Israel-Palestine debate, and we don't really touch on much else when it comes to uh, foreign policy at our conventions. Which is a shame because there's such a, a void uh, in that discussion, you know, there's, there's a place for the NDP in that discussion. And the line we've heard, you know, whether you agree with it or not, is, well, you know, we don't need to expand Canada's military and we really shouldn't have much of a military at all. But it never goes beyond that, other than, as you were saying, yeah, the, the Israel-Palestine debate. Um, and, I, I, yeah, I think that's a missed opportunity, personally. I, and, and I wonder, do, do you think that it would take a new leader to change that approach? Do you think that it's not a leader issue? It, do you think it's endemic to the party? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think it's a jug meat thing. I think it was an issue before he became leader. Um, but he certainly has been complicit in the, um, you know, silencing of, of that sort of talk, you know, mm -hmm. trying to keep everything um, on message and stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I know for a lot of people, it is their, their reason they're in the party and the thing that they liked that they're fighting for. But I don't think that that is the case for... The majority of Canadians and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we haven't been you know pushing that policy or whatever um yeah to go on a bit of a different tack uh Bethany you, you've worked all for the for the federal party you've worked for the provincial party I'm interested in in getting what you think that the, the difference is between maybe in Alberta where the NDP is a serious contender for government, it seems very likely they might win the next election, versus federally, where you know they're struggling to, to get every single seat. Do you think that changes the way that uh, the leaders and both those parties are communicating with the public, the positions that they're taking um, with the public, and the goals that they're that they're setting? Like, do you think that? Uh, uh, Jugmeet would ever be willing to make a deal with Justin Trudeau like this if he thought that he was going to win the next election, for example? Or um, do you see that there, maybe there is no difference at all and, and NDPs are just trying to, to get as much social policy through as they possibly can, no matter what? what what's your opinion on that? Um, well, I think uh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, you know, being from Alberta and experiencing the Notley NDP government and, you know, we had John Horgan next door and um, there was a lot of headbutting even between the two uh, oh, premiers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, then, then they want to get the federal party uh, to take a side, you know, on either side of the argument and then people we get no angry <laughs> that they're not taking a side or they take the wrong side in their opinion. Um, that's the problem you have when you have you know, a provincial and federal sections is that they do have their own policies, you know, like they, they generally um, are under the same, uh, you know, political ideology, but uh, yeah, you're going to find different policies uh, at the Alberta NDP convention that you would see at the federal one, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's intentional that the, that the, the federal or the provincial NDP in Alberta 
is becoming essentially, it, it seems to me as an outside observer, is just basically filling the void of what an Alberta Liberal Party would have looked like if, if it existed. Um, do you think that they're they're intentionally doing that to, to win government? Or is it just happens to be that those are the people that, that work for the party at the time? Like, is it... Uh, it, what's where, where's the pony and the and the and the cart at, at, at this stage are they are they taking more moderate stances to win government or they just happen to be more moderate people that that are working there that's a good question too um you know i have a unique uh view on this because i got involved back when before rachel was even leader and we only had four mlas mm -hmm. uh so i was on the party executive back then um and I, I, you know, I will say that I would, I would say that it wouldn't be too much to say that the Alberta NDP government may have been a little bit less progressive than um, a number of progressive people around the country and even in Alberta had, had wanted. Um, but it, it is the case that um, the Alberta NDP has always supported oil and gas as a, as an industry, and they realize that it's very important to the economy and. I really, really liked the um, energy platform the Alberta NDP won on in 2015. Um, I think that made me uh, definitely uh, to the to the right. People would think I'm on the right of the party because of that stance that I had back then. Um, my views on pipelines have definitely shifted over the last few years, um, but back then I I, I did think that. Um, they were they were pretty good on with with their energy policy. So in in 2015, um, the NDP was very clearly in um, contention for um, government. Now uh, they seem to be uh, trying to to save every seat possible, and they're they're working on a new deal with the government um, to get some policies through. Do you think that the NDP has switched from a government ambition towards more of a policy-centric uh, ambition, or they still uh, maintain that same goal of, of one day forming government? Yeah, I think um, always the goal is to form government. Um, we're you know we're always running to win. Um, you know, always that might not be the case, but I think we saw, uh, you know, in the in the orange wave that um, the NDP has broad appeal across the country. Um, but there always are going to be those members who really don't care about who's in power and are, are genuinely just interested in seeing um, their their policies get passed. So this deal um, definitely is making them happy. That's for sure. Hmm. Well, I'm curious to dig into that that whole deal. Um... <laughs> the socialist nightmare, as the conservatives would have would have you believe, um, it, I, you know I think it's I I just I'm not worried about Jugmeat as much as I'm worried about Justin Trudeau trying to renege on certain aspects of the agreement, uh, the classic liberal yeah. cop out, right? So I, I I'm not certain whether or not I trust him to see it through if it does go all the way through a la BC almost, I guess Horgan broke that, yeah. but if it can make it a few years and we can ensure the childcare rolled, the childcare rollout goes smoothly. If, if we can make meaningful progress on dental care, hopefully exactly as, as was laid out or possibly further, but at least exactly as it was laid out in the agreement, um, though, you know, if we can get those two things done or three things, I should say, cause I'm going to add pharmacare. If, if that can, get rolling in a meaningful way. I think that's a huge accomplishment. I do think it would take that agreement working for at least three years to have any hope of doing that, especially yeah. given that the liberals seem to be slow on moving policy compared to the, their predecessors, their predecessors. Um, whether or not that's because of, I don't think it has anything to do with omnibus bills because the, the, the liberals aren't afraid of those. Uh, I think they're just kind of bad at getting things passed smoothly or slower than the conservatives anyway. Um, so if, if, if all goes smoothly, a smooth sailing for three years, I think it could be really meaningful. Um, but my question would be is, my question for you is, do you trust both of these guys or one, even one of these guys enough to, to, to think that it'll get fulfilled? Yeah, well, I think it's, um, you know, the, the optimist in me, but I can't help but be optimistic about the opportunity um, that this presents. I think 
you know, especially since the NDP is technically the fourth party in the House, you know, to be in this sort of position is um, is fantastic. Um, you know, there are people in the party on the other side of the argument who say, oh, we just, you know, we just you know, showed him our hand and gave him all, all the power and, um, you know, now we don't have any, uh, you know, bargaining room for anything. But, you know, it's like you said, you know, it, you don't always trust the liberals, right? So, you know, I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm not, you know, foolish. Uh, so, I, you know, that both leaders have said that they could, you know, pull out at any time, or, um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily um, going to be around, like you said, until um, the next election is is coming. But, uh, yeah, I think that it has a lot of potential, and uh, I think you know it really reminds me of something that Jack Layton would have done, and I think. Um, it, it's kind of the first time that I felt like that in a while, that the party is doing something that reminds me of, of what it was like under Jack. If the, if the goal is still to um, achieve uh, government, which did seem possible under Jack Layton, bring back to, to what you said, uh, what is the narrative that the party has to sell with this uh, confidence supply motion what is the, uh, um, how does this New Deal um, position the party going into what could potentially uh, be an election many, a few years from now so that it can actually win that election? Because we, we see in sometimes junior partners, um, in this is not a coalition, but do, partners are propping up the, the government sometimes fall, fall with that government as well. But we also have examples like Bob Ray, uh, the NDP in in Ontario, that they helped the Liberals and then ended up, uh, you know, getting a majority government out of nowhere from it. Um, is it just a, a vain hope that they can uh, uh, sell this to the public, or is there actually a, a plan? Or maybe I should ask, what would your plan be if if you were uh, working for the party so that we can sell this to the voters and and get an NDP government mm -hmm. out of this deal? Well, first of all, I, I think that this deal isn't for the NDP to form the next government. I think mm. that this deal is for them to make the best out of the situation that they're in right now and to get as many of our policies passed as possible and help as many Canadians as possible. And that's really been what Jagmeet has been saying, you know, all you know since the 2019 election is that the new you elected new Democrats to bring forward progressive policies and to help Canadians. And that's um, you know what what he's promised to do and he's proven that he that he's doing that so um, I don't know like I think it's that's that's the existential debate that's happening right now right is, is does the party want to want to be a movement or does it want to be a serious contender I think right now it's a, it's a, something of a movement more than a contender and it's content with that and I think that's completely okay because that's where it's been it's had the most impact in Canadian history you know Tommy Douglas and Lester Pearson um, those, though that was one of the greatest moments in our history, one of the policies that we're most, most proud of, I think, and across partisan lines that ev everybody is proud of. And, and hopefully we can build on that. Hopefully this is a chance to build on that. I want to be an optimist too. I think I've gotten so cynical, so I'm trying not to let my own cynicism cloud my view too much. You got to have something to look forward to. And my God, if we could get those three things just out of the park, everything's good. Then I think that's, that's fantastic. That's a big, big, big win for the entire country. Yeah, I'm also um, really hoping that the NDP can get that uh, policy passed to cut um, the government's subsidies for fossil fuels uh, and oil companies. I think that's something that's kind of flown under the radar of one of the priorities, and I think that's a really big one. Do you think this confidence supply motion could uh, solve what I think is becoming sort of a perennial issue in, in the NDP, where you guys have excellent policies, but in a sense, you sort of have too many of them, that whenever you go to any election, you're throwing like 15 policies at people. No one really has a central message. Do you think if you go into an election with, we gave you pharmacare, we gave you dental care, you can actually have a, a, a platform you can yeah. run on? Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's one of the, the great things about what Jagmeet and the NDP caucus has gotten done, you know, over the last uh, two and a half years now. Um, I, I think it's very impressive. Um, that as an opposition, as the fourth party, that, mm -hmm. that they've been able to accomplish what they have. And I think that 
now that um, you know there's an official agreement, we can really actually claim those. Um, you know, there's always people who argue, you know, oh well, it was under a liberal government, so it doesn't count if it was an NDP policy. But you know, that's just you know, partisanship for you. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's classic partisan partisan blinders, right? Like there's there's people in the liberals who I mean they're they're becoming a little bit quieter these days, but you know Jacob and I at one time were quite partisan liberals as you probably recall, and we were I was personally quite partisan until SNC like that was finally the thing that just did it for me in being overtly mm-hmm. partisan like definitely electoral reform hurt like I was upset about that. But you, you know, you don't want to give up on the on the on the party. So you're like, okay, yeah. so you kind of ride it through, and and I I think that's why I'm more cynical than some. But there's some they're quieter these days that have the partisan blinders on, and their party can do no wrong, and the center can do no wrong, mm-hmm. or, or 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 they just toe the line because they're trying to to rise up in the ranks. I think that's the case in every every caucus, every party, um, and it the sad part is it's getting to such a hyper it's becoming so hyper-partisan that it's begun to pollute the discourse. And it was something that Peter Mansbridge actually mentioned on his podcast today. I was listening today and he had Bruce Anderson from uh, Abacus Data on there. And Bruce was talking about this MP, Rachel Thomas from the Tories, who everybody's seen the clip of her reading her, her silly little speech about how, haha, I looked up dictator in the dictionary and like, Trudeau fits some Canadians think Trudeau fits that some people are saying it's like it's just like there's he Bruce was saying and, and I completely agree it's like what is where is the value like okay so somebody in your office or you thought it would be funny that you would say that you knew you were going to get viral hits because everybody in your comment section was going oh wow great job you know like you got him you own the libs <laughs> you know and yeah. like and sure so she's blown up we've all seen it she's had her 15 minutes of fame but when people look back on you as an MP, and she's been an MP since 2015, I'm pretty sure, formerly Rachel Harder, Rachel yeah, Thomas. She was, yeah. uh, and, and when people look back on you, what did she get done for me? Oh, yeah, she did that viral clip comparing our, our elected prime minister to a dictator. It just, it's just absolutely yeah, insulting to me. Yeah, have really been doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to hear that. And with the left, the left bridge police, too, that's a whole other thing. Jeez. Um, but, uh, all that to say that this is, this is, it's gotten to this level of partisanship where you can't, you, you can't even bring yourself to have the principles to say, no, no, like, I don't like Trudeau either. I really don't. I think he's bad for Alberta. I think he's bad for Lethbridge. He was elected. You can't say that he wasn't elected to, to see you not even, not only not standing up for that, but just gladly do you know dealing out the snake oil is disgusting to me and mm-hmm. it's not just the tories the liberals have, have were hyper partisan during snc that was what culminated in me i'm like i can't listen to any of you guys anymore and you're on my team quote unquote i can't even listen to you guys and like everybody has their kind of moment every now and again the partisans in the party and it, it it's it's fine to support uh, the causes that your party support but like, are we really going to get to this? Like, I remember Melanie Jolie was asked about the SNC Laval and affair, and she's like, "Well, politics is kind of like a team sport," and she's not wrong in that comparison. But she was also making that argument to say, like, that's how it is, like mm-hmm. that's the game, and she's right. But it is sad that, like, does that not bother her? Does that not bother? You know, I think it's a it's a wider discussion that that needs to be had that is just never properly had. What do you guys think about that? Both of you, what do you what do you guys think? I'm curious. Or maybe you should ask Bethany, have you had a similar, you said you sat out the last election. Have you had a similar yeah. experience or was that, was that commission report that you delivered in 2021, your uh, SNC Lavalin experience that stopped you from, yeah. turned you away from the, from yeah, the partisanship? Yeah, that was certainly my mic drop moment. <laughs> it was, I've, I've done all that I can um, and I can't do anymore. Uh, so um, I was on the youth executive provincially and they've since had another election so i'm officially not on any ndp boards or anything anymore um you know there was a lot of times 
where it could have been the mic drop moment and I decided to stick with it and support the party and be a team player like you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, after nearly a decade of it, it was, it was too much. So, um, you know, I made the decision to step away from that and I'm glad that I did. Uh, mm. It's not that I don't believe in the party, um, not that I won't vote for them, but uh, they've, they've gotten um, the max amount of uh, emotional and physical labor they're going to get from me uh, for now. So mm. It's completely understandable. I think we feel the same way about the Liberal Party right now. Um, we've both said publicly our opinions on the Prime Minister, who has been duly elected listeners. There was no coup. He's not a dictator. He doesn't no have the power to lay takeover. crimes. No. There's no communist takeover. You can vote him out in the next election. And we wish he would go too. We wish that maybe somebody else would step in and, and maybe reinvigorate the party because all we wanted was like, we're quite, I would say we're ideologically quite close to what the, the 2015 campaign promised. Uh, and a lot of that was, was, yeah. was steamrolled. Um, and, and, I think we just need somebody to reinvigorate that, to turn down the temperature a little bit, not be so holier than thou about everything. And Nini agrees, you know, because she comes into frame because she she must hear my voice somehow. She definitely, she I think that's how attracted to you. But, uh, but sort of you, speaking anyway, about the the, ahead, uh, the future of the the Liberal Party, uh, pretty soon some people are speculating that perhaps this deal is evidence of it. Uh, there's going to be a a vacuum of leadership in, in the Liberal Party. And there's certainly um, elements, uh, right-wing elements that are complaining the press that want to move the party towards the center. But it's also an opportunity uh, for progressive voters to organize and keep the, the Liberals in uh, a left-wing focus. And perhaps after a few years of, of working together, you know, it's not impossible to imagine a, a Jeremy Corbyn type being a, a you know, elected leadership and getting a, a maybe even a merger between these these two parties and getting a, a labor party uh, or a labor like party in Canada. Do you think that uh, left wing activists like like you, I, and Liam should be, if if Trudeau does step down, taking an advantage and maybe plotting for something like this to to drive the Liberal Party with all its resources, with all its institutions, with the team player ethic. You know, if they had a, a Jeremy Corbyn type, they could they would actually support him potentially. They could get that sort of they could get that guy in power. Should we be organizing to uh, uh, to have that happen, or should we be should we be putting our our mental and emotional effort into like the the NDP and hoping that it it's, can get a few policies now and then? Well, I think that's funny because I'm I'm pretty sure that's what Justin Trudeau tried to do. Yeah, you know, like. Yes. I, <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I don't ever see the NDP merging with the Liberals. Hmm. It's been a discussion forever, and I just I don't see it happening. Um, it could be the case that the Liberals continue to uh, push for progressive policies, um, whether they're progressive in practice or if it, they're just nice words is another thing. Um, you know, right. they really like to do that. So I don't know. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see anybody waiting in the wings of the liberal leadership like that. Um, so what if, I, it was, what if it was like Jagmeet Singh that ran for the leadership? Like what if it, that would like, be quite the scandal. Like what if it was a, what if it is an NDP person that like it like the same way if you have like Jason Kenney running for the PCs and then merging the parties like it's the it's the outside force trying to to take over. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm always for the Liberals being more left. That always makes me happy. It always makes my day. So I'm Us all too. for it. If that's mm -hmm. something that's gonna happen, I'm I'm great great for that. I I really do think that Christian Freeland's gonna be the next leader, but. Uh, we'll see. So you you don't think that the, the the parties should merge or will like no okay okay no neither do I Bethany the, the NDP is an essential fixture of our political landscape in my opinion I think that they um, if they weren't there the Liberals would not be progressive hmm. you know if it weren't for the NDP they they wouldn't be so interested in trying to appeal to uh, to the left and to try to take those votes. So I think right. that um, 
the NDP is, is important as an opposition party, but uh, even better as a governing party. I'm interested in what evidence you would point to to suggest that, because in the there are other uh, even countries in the Anglo sphere where the the two main uh, right and left parties, the the, the left wing party, even without a farther left uh, uh, alternative is still willing to take very far left positions like like labor in in the UK I mean they under under the uh, Tony Blair they definitely move more in the liberal direction but then I said like under Corbyn they definitely move leftward Australia their labor party can be pretty left leaning mm -hmm. of course we definitely think a lot in terms of the Americans and the Democrats like are hopelessly uh, centrist or even right wing sometimes so you're saying that the the NDP sort of forces the uh, the the liberals leftward, but wouldn't if all those activists and uh, politicians and money that's going towards the NDP, if they were in the in the Liberal Party actively uh, battling out in the Liberal Party, wouldn't that like literally force the the, the party to move leftwards rather than just a uh, an occasional electoral influence? I don't know. I think that the party establishment is very strong in the Liberals, and it would be quite the effort uh, to to shift the culture internally of the party to to bring it to the level of progressivism of the NDP. I think that would be quite the feat. There'd to have accomplish. to be a purge for sure, but yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not an expert on the internal workings of the Liberal Party, but. Uh, yeah, I know the um, the Labour Party is actually the NDP's sister party, mm -hmm. um, which I found interesting because they do remind me a lot more of the Liberals uh, here than they do of the NDP. So, like the only other situation I think where, where a purge would work of of, of that nature would be, um, you know, something like where, where the Liberals in 2011, when you had them knocked down to 34, 35 seats or whatever it was. Uh, Justin Trudeau came in and sort of essentially rebuilt a party around him. I think unless you have a situation like that, it's going to be tough to to have a purge because, I mean, even under the old, more centrist liberals, like pre-Trudeau or pre-Ignatieff even, um, you know, it was quite a, there were quite a lot of knife fights behind the scenes and that would boil out publicly at the, at the time. The liberals have been very disciplined about that because they know it, it hurt them quite a bit. But that their people forget that their dirty laundry used to be regularly aired, um, and, and an RCMP reports and, and the Gomery yeah. and the Gomery Commission kind of was was the death note, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I don't know if we'll ever see a, a purge. I don't know if there's value in a merger anyway. Really, uh, to me, under our first past the post system, it's already unbalanced enough i feel like if we reduce the options people yeah. have on the table sometimes that that's not the greatest thing or the healthiest thing um that's that's kind of where i'm at it, not that it provides a even a greater degree of proportionality because again our system doesn't really allow for that but it's just nice for people to have as many choices as they can under this crappy system until somebody finally works themselves up to changing it um whenever that may be and and what, what do you think about Electoral reform, Bethany, do you think that's something that the NDP will ever kind of push the feds to talk about again? Will the feds ever be pushed to talk about it again under the um, if they're a liberal government? Or is this sort of a kicking a dead horse? Yeah, well, I'm sure it was um, on the table discussion uh, for the deal. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as it was basically their platform in 2015, um, you know, they went to the, through all the hubbub of having, you know, the, the commission and all of that and the minister of uh, electoral reform. And then they decided it wasn't going to be good for them and huh. decided not to do it. So um, there might be a time where they decide oh, this might actually be good for us. So maybe we'll we'll take a look at it. But I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, mixed member proportional representation would be um, my first choice. Uh, and I think it would be really good for the NDP. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the liberal consultation said too, and they didn't like the answer. So I think yeah. that was yeah. part of yeah. part of why they quashed it. They're like, we can't do this, and just, just they could, but they they wouldn't. And 
par for the course. I think they, they, they're hardly as ambitious as they market themselves to be, but the saddest part is, and Jacob and I revisit this, revisit this a lot and we'll get your thoughts on this too. But the saddest part is I, I think that they see themselves as very progressive, which is why I think it hurt Justin Trudeau so much when he got so much criticism from the, from the left. Why, why he personally said that it hurt him more getting criticism from the left than the right was because of that. I think he does view himself as very progressive. Even if he cops out, he's like, well, I'm the only one who's going to do that. But he, like, it's like, that is the bare minimum. Like it's always, it's always just like under the bare minimum and sometimes not even that. And amazing that he prevented electoral reform because he was worried, I, I suppose, that he'd have to make deals with the NDP in order to stay in power. And now, a few years later, here we are with a deal with the NDP to stay in power. Like, uh, Any other works out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, though, Bethany, that whole issue. You know, I, I think that... You know, do you think that Trudeau is his worst enemy there with something like electoral reform? Like, can he be trusted to ever discuss it seriously again or, or do you think do you think it's completely dead meat i don't see it happening yeah i don't see it happening you know um maybe when they have a new leader and they're running again uh and they need to make a promise that people would vote for them for right you know Try they kept doing that with child care right yeah every every you know couple of election cycles they'd whip it out as a pro promise and you know 26 years later, we're finally getting it. Hmm. Took long enough, huh? And some, you know, some partisans would suggest on the liberal side of things that, um, you know, when Jack Layton helped bring down the Martin government in 2005, that that was killing childcare and that that was, was killing the Kelowna Accord. And that was, which I think is just like, it's silly because the liberals needed to be kicked out of power so, so badly by then. Like, I do think it was necessary that they needed to get the boot at that point. They'd gotten so corrupt. Um, but he, you know, you know, partisans would say, well, why did the NDP bring down the government in 2005? But the liberals like that, that to me, that's just a partisan line. What do you guys think about that? Do you think there's any validity in that statement? Bethany first, and then Jacob can follow up. Um, yeah, I think there's some some validity in it. Um, I don't know. I I think you know with the whole deal that's that's been put forward, it's it's you know it has the potential to to be really good, but I I don't know it. It does it does sort of have you know vibes of the um you know, the sort of deal that uh, Jack and um, I forget who else was making the deal back then, but... Shilda Sepp? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does have kind of those vibes, um, but, uh, you know, thankfully this one actually ended up happening. <laughs> <laughs> no prorogation. Yeah. Rather than making a comment, Liam, I'd actually like to switch gears a little bit in the time we have left. Um, Go for it. So, and this is going to be completely out of left field, but so in South Korea, there's just an election. Uh, they move from having a, a relatively left-leaning uh, president to what has been described in the media as a Trump-like figure. And the swing demographic in that election was young men that were appealed in, it seems like basically misogynistic language, it shifted uh, it was like it seems like I was reading like a thirty point shift for for uh, uh, younger men in that demographic. Holy moly! And even here in Canada, we're seeing um, politics is becoming a lot more uh, polarized on gender lines. Women are voting consistently now uh, for the Liberals and NDP much more than for yeah. the Conservatives. And I think like. As, as a man myself, I look in my social media feed and I understand why. Like, I, I'm give, I, I look at, I open YouTube and all I'm seeing is Ben Shapiro. I'm seeing Jordan Peterson. I'm getting, and, and my, like, I've had friends who, they worked with me on a liberal campaign that now they're tweeting out Pierre Polyev tweets. Like, it's gone, it's, it's oh, gone completely crazy. So oh. I'm interested, uh, with all your work getting women in politics, I'm interested in what, what you think uh, progressive um, parties should do to combat uh, a radicalization of young men. Should the focus for, for uh, progressive politics, should it be getting these guys back? Or now that we see this, this very misogynistic line developing, should it be instead trying to convert conservative women to the progressive causes? 
Because if you see people like Michelle Rempel getting screamed at at the restaurant, like, or even people, uh, girl, uh, people like Lisa Raitt, you know, there are a lot of women in politics who I think I'm going to guess that they started it in conservative circles that aren't feeling as comfortable in those conservative circles. Should we be trying to reach out ac uh, across the aisle to, to women just double down on the on a female demographic? Or should we try to stem uh, a radicalization that seems to have gotten worse, especially the COVID pandemic in uh, under 30 males? Yeah. Well, I think the, the issue of misogyny is a massive one, and it's um, it's not something that, unfortunately, the NDP can solve. Mm. <laughs> um, I think that um, there's definitely uh, things we can do to publicly, uh, you know, uh, try to educate people um, to, you know, be firmly against misogyny within the party, um, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know uh, if we're going to be seeing Jugmeet um, shilling any sort of cryptocurrency uh, <laughs> in the near future. I would be surprised. Uh, no NDP NFTs uh, in the future. Uh, and, and that's why that's why I they asked the other part because what if the uh, I also don't think I think it would be a, a mistake to try and go after uh, Lehman my demographic. To be honest, I think we should just uh, let them hang out there. But uh, what if the, do you think it's a good line for progressive parties to start selling, you know, the conservative party is not a place for women and start putting that line out there more and more and trying to, to reach like, and this, they would have to involve, I think, some level of compromise uh, to, con to conservative women to get them on board. But I'm feeling say. a softening of that demographic that I've never seen before. There are particularly like, uh, um, uh, women of my uh, generation that are working with the Tories that I've never had any daylight with politically that I'm finding myself agreeing more and more. Or, and it's not like I've changed my positions that they suddenly were on the same page because they're getting screamed at and yelled yeah. at in their yeah. constituency meetings like yeah. never before. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, you know, I think that there are a number of, you know, progressive conservative uh, women who don't see themselves represented in in the conservative party uh provincially or federally so i i do feel for them but um i don't know if necessarily their choice would be to switch to the ndp i mean maybe they're potential liberal voters but um but can the party make a play for them if they if they want like that's yeah, more well, i think i think we have um one of the reasons why we have so many women supporters is because our policies are so great, you know, because we were pushing for policies that uh, are so great for women and uh, girls. So uh, I, you know, I think if we just continue with that, then I think that it's just sort of a natural attraction that happens is if people actually look at the policies and they say, okay, this, this looks good, you know, that's, that's how I did it. So. <laughs> hmm. I don't know why it's an interesting question to and debate to have. Uh, and, and I think my, like my, my hesitancy about it is that this, particularly in the West, is that the liberal brand is so toxic outside of the cities. Um, and I suppose ND, the NDP are there, are there now too, but they're, they're more of a competing, well, not, not really like they're, they're competing for the next government. So I take that back, you know, it's, it's, so I, I wonder if the NDP would have an easier time than, than the liberals in recruiting conservative women. The trouble the only trouble I see there is, depending on how partisan they are, uh, that they might have difficulty accepting NDP or liberal values. Like if they are conservative women, maybe they would rather just be homeless, politically homeless, than be a liberal or NDP supporter. Uh, I know that there's a number of uh, blue liberals, a handful of blue liberals and a handful of uh, red toys that, are, that feel like that in their respective parties. So I don't know if it would be a, a situation of maybe a, maybe a woman's like super conservative in terms of like being pro-choice and super conservative on LGBTQ rights. And, you know, but, but like on this one issue, misogyny they're because they're experiencing it, experiencing it personally, they realize that their, their party that they would normally vote for isn't for them. And yeah. But I think like leaving people politically homeless is a huge gamble, especially when we're talking about uh, pr progressive politics well and then to that be honest, would require the liberals to or the ndp to shift a bit to the right i think 
to pick up some of those politically homeless people. That's what I feel like. I feel like it wouldn't be as easy to just poach them. Like you'd have to pull, po you have to poach them somehow. You have to give them, it's the carrot and the stick. You got to give them the carrot. Um, yeah, I don't do know. I, when I, when I think of that, I think about Alberta and I think that that has definitely happened a lot. I think that the NDP has picked up a lot of female support that would have previously been voting for the PCs um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, UCP. And especially because I think Rachel is such a great leader. I think um, she has such uh, appeal to everybody across the province. And I think, um, you know, as a woman, she has to work 50 times harder um, and sure. has really shown that she's um, somebody to be respected. So I think that that has um, definitely grown the party. Um, and I mean, we even had, you know, um, one of the PCs cross the floor uh, to join the NDP. Um, and, you know, that it, it, it was kind of a, it was kind of a crazy situation. Mm -hmm. It was like, you never really would have thought that would happen, but here we are and it did happen. So, <laughs> well, Rachel, what is definitely strategically one of the, one of the greatest leaders that I think Alberta has had, uh, in, in my opinion, she, 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 she reached some important milestones that no Alberta leader had ever, ever even went, you know, the territory that, they, that nobody yeah. would ever go to before her. Like, she was really a, a trailblazer in a lot of regards, especially for the progressive side of things in that province and the modernization of that province. It helped that there was some overlap with Nahid Nenshi, so I who I think has also been huge in, in trailblazing those, those values and making it acceptable yes. to, to hold those values. Um, so, mm -hmm. but credit to, to Rachel where, where credit is due. Um, uh, so, you know, like I, I love having you on because these are the things I don't know. Like I, I had no idea that uh, I, I don't know a lot about the NDP structurally as, as much as I do the liberals. And I, I didn't know that they had poached a PC at the, on the Alberta level, they had poached a PC uh, MLA. Like that's remarkable. That's, that's quite something. Yeah, Sandra um, Jansen. She's a, she was a Calgary uh, MLA, and she was in the um, cabinet. She was a cabinet minister um, for the wow. PC government. Wow, there you go. That's huge. And you know what? That the similar situation happened. There's some really interesting dances between the PCs and NDPs at the, and the NDP at the provincial level, and and that happened here in Nova Scotia, where so the NDP had a majority government term in Nova Scotia from 2009 to 2013. Daryl Daryl Dexter was his name, and um he was a little bit give money to the old boys so he got caught for that and now the ndp's name is dirt in this province like like in ontario mm -hmm. because the pcs and the liberals can screw up multiple times but the ndp can't so they're now back down to like five or five to seven seats like in like a very small amount of seats and but but the irony was that in the last provincial election august 2021 which ian rankin and the liberals were expected just to just walk away with they were expected to just take the whole bag and you know, like Prentice in 2015, like Jacob was, I remember Jacob was telling me he was having champagne and everybody was enjoying themselves and then disaster struck. And it was similar with the, with that, with this election, the PCs got a surprise majority. Tim Houston's the premier now by in large part running, running to the left of the provincial liberals who in Nova Scotia were quite a lot like the Cretchen liberals at the federal level, like very fiscally conservative and, and more socially centrist, like center left, but more centrist, I'd say. Um, and so the PCs ran to the left of that, promised billions in spending for healthcare, and a former NDP cabinet minister from the Daryl Dexter government endorsed the PC platform. So you're seeing these weird dances now, and I think the NDP has gotten some criticism from uh, since since Jugmeet uh, took over at the federal level because they don't do enough federally anymore to engage some of some of the workers. I think like the liberals have kind of stolen that bag. I don't think that's entirely Jugmeet's fault. Like I think that started before him. But maybe there's an opportunity here strategically for the NDP to pull some of those worker conservatives back on side. I don't know how. Like again, it's like if if the NDP has left-wing values and some of the some workers that would vote NDP have racial right social values but left values when it comes to, you know, like unions and pensions and benefits and, and things and being in a supported yeah. job that pays you fairly for your time. I, I, it's possible that there could be a marriage there because we keep seeing these dances, right? So it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, do you, do you see a, po a possibility where at the provincial level that 
maybe some UCPers yeah. just have enough and maybe they're more to the left of what we would call the UCP and they, they jump to the NDP or do you think they're just likely to split again? What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, specifically for Alberta, yeah, I definitely think um, that, you know, people who would have maybe held their nose and voted for a PC party or maybe the UCP now, um, they will be voting for the NDP. Uh, because Jason Kenney has just been an absolute nightmare disaster. Um, but um, something came to my mind when you were saying that, Liam. I've seen that exact situation when I was working on the campaign in St. Catharines um, down in southern Ontario. And, um, you know, the riding goes back and forth between NDP and Conservative. And that might seem weird to some people, but once you actually get down there and you're actually talking to the, the supporters and you can, like, like get a sense for the vibe and everything like that you're, you're kind of like oh okay so i see where this like sort of blue collar overlap um you know between the conservatives and ndp is happening on that happy note uh we'll probably have to wrap up the episode there oh thank you uh for coming in bethany thank it was so great to have this discussion and uh probably we had such a great one we might have to bring you on again if there's ever a time thanks so much for listening along today if you have thoughts on how to make the show better, uh, if you know any good psychological thriller recommendations, or if you just want to send me love letters, hate mail, you can direct it to speechfromthethrone at gmail.com. That's speechfromthethrone at gmail.com. And sign off from Ottawa.